the Brit Pack is back. We are on location here in Manchester, uh, safely ensconced away from quite a chilly breeze outside. We were uh, outside having a nice warm cup of coffee. We're now inside to record the, record the show. Simon Head and Shamak Karsandu. Uh, finally in the same room to record a show. This is a rare, a rare privilege, this one. I know, it's usually done over Skype, but we're on location here in Manchester for UFC 204, and uh, I'm sure everyone can uh, uh, hear the, the crack in my voice, and it's due to being really under the weather. I think we both are, Sai. Mm. Um, we both ha- made separate journeys to Manchester yesterday, but somehow along the way, uh, we've both picked up a, a little bit of an illness. For me, I'm just feeling congested. I've got a sore throat. Uh, last night I literally lost my voice completely for a good couple of hours and uh, yeah today it's been all about the lozenges and I'm on my third cup of coffee I've had some green tea I've had some chamomile tea I've had uh, hot water with orange and lemon lemon and honey in it Uh, I'm doing my best uh, but yeah not the ideal uh, situation to record uh, a podcast so I'm hoping you can carry us through the show today then that's that that's that's a bit of a worry because I'm not in the best of Nick either. We're both sitting here just to uh, to paint the picture for you. We are sat uh, out the back of uh, a Costa Coffee. It's kind of they've got this sort of cafe restaurant arrangement here uh, in in Manchester. We have both got uh, two of the largest available cups of coffee uh, you can buy from Costa, and uh, we're just sat nice little quiet uh, corner of uh, of this sort of. Uh, cafe I suppose you can call it and uh, what we're going to do we're going to look ahead uh, to UFC 204 Uh, we're going to talk about UFC 205 before we get on with all of that and there's an awful lot of that to talk about let's talk about the past weekend because uh, it was a a bit of a rare privilege for the pair of us we both got to go away Uh, a bit of a mini European tour for the uh, for the Brit Pack I went up to uh, to Glasgow Scotland for uh, ACB's debut event in the UK ACB 47 uh, and you were over in uh, in Finland for uh, Euro FC One, their, their their debut show, their inaugural show. Let's kick things off with, with with that. I mean, how was it? What were the fights like? What was the organisation like? I mean, how how was the overall experience? Yeah, I had a I had a really good time. So uh, Euro FC um, two co CEOs, both with Finnish backgrounds. Um, the main dude is Jarno Kulika, who is um, his background is working with the, the Finnish Olympic Committee and also the Finnish Sports Council. Um, so he's got all the right you know, connections uh, in Finland when it comes to TV partners and sponsors and so forth. And they're just fans of MMA, and this has been in the works for about 18 months for them. Um, and they've got the right kind of uh, people involved from the European MMA circuit with regards to matchmakers, logistics, operations, you know, heads of communication. And... Um, I honestly uh, was really, really impressed. It was, uh, it wasn't, um, you know, uh, a, too big of a card. It was there were nine fights uh, on the card, uh, not like ACB, which I'm, which I'm sure we'll get to when you speak about your experience there. It was uh, nine, nine fights. Um, you know, a pretty tight show. Um, they had a, a deal with MTV in Finland, where you had the uh, the, the number one DJ fr- from Finland, who was kind of the house DJ. Um, and you also had two, um, you know, rock and rap performances in between some of the fights, which is quite interesting. I did enjoy your WhatsApp message. We were both uh, WhatsApping each other from from cage side at the respective shows, and you're like, "Yeah, we've just taken a bit of a pause here, so we can have some finished rap." <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I had no idea what they were rapping about, uh, <laughs> but it was quite the performance. And uh, to be fair, like 
for their first show, they had quite a bit to deal with. Um, they had uh, their main event had uh, Johnny Bedford versus Tom Ninamaki, both former UFC fighters. A week before the event, Johnny Bedford pulled out. They pulled a rabbit out of the hat when they got a tough season 12 winner, Jonathan Brookins. Um, He flew in on short notice and and filled in that main card slot. Um, But overall, I mean, the the attendance was about three to 4,000 in the arena. They had a lot of money behind the production. They weren't skimping on production whatsoever. It looked like a a really rich show inside the arena. And I I believe the way it came across during the live stream on flowcombat.com, that came across really well as well. And, um, you know, there were five finishes over the course of the nine fights, some pretty entertaining fights. The one fighter that stood out to me um, is actually one of the veterans of the sport, uh, a guy called Carl Amuso. Uh, maybe some, some fans might be familiar with him, maybe some not, uh, but he's got over 30 pro fights. He's fought for Bellator. He's fought for, for um, I think it's Pancrase or Dream, uh, if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken. And his last six fights, Simon, He's, all, he's won them all, and he's finished all of his opponents. He's a French welterweight at 30 years old. He speaks fluent English, and from what I'm led to believe, he's got one of the largest um, social media followings uh, coming out of the French MMA scene. And we both know that the UFC are really kind of keen into breaking into the French market soon. Um, his number one goal now, he feels as though he's done enough to get signed by the UFC. Um, and that was certainly the plead he made in his uh, in a in cage post fight interview, and also the interview I conducted with him uh, backstage. Uh, but overall, really, really kind of impressed with the, the production of the fights, and they've already committed to 2017. Um, they've got a show coming up in Prague in February, and they've got a show coming up in Copenhagen, Denmark in April. Um, and listen, uh, it's, it's a great thing for the European market. You know, we've got quite a few shows already with Bama and Cage Warriors, ACB, um, European Fight Nights. There's quite a few shows. Um, they're doing it the right way. Uh, they had Mark Goddard, one of the best referees uh, in the game, um, you know, officiating for the majority of the night. And he was kind of like the head of regulatory um, bits and pieces at the event. Um, so, you know, that's a good sign. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to kind of catching up with the CEO in about a week or so to have a more of an in-depth follow-up conversation about, you know, where they went right, where they went wrong, or what they want to improve on and so forth. But for our first show, um, I thought they did really, really well. Cool. ACB was fun and games. That's probably the best way to describe it. Um, it was the first ever show in the UK, and I think the, uh, the behind-the-scenes stuff at times was pretty chaotic. Um, and uh, I think there were a lot of challenges that the guys on the ground were having to deal with during the week. So there was an awful lot of uh, running around and all the rest of it. And I think there are definitely areas there that they'll they'll look to tighten up for the next one. Crowd, I've got to be honest, was a bit disappointed. Uh, I expected there to be a lot more people than there were. I reckon there were about 1,500, maybe 2,000 at best um, in the Hydro, which is a spectacular arena. Um, but the crowd wasn't as big as you would have liked it to have been. Um, but of course, the main the main strand to your product, of course, is the fights. And um, their slogan is "less show, more fighting," and they certainly delivered that. You had nine fights. Yeah, we had twenty. And when I heard that, I could not <laughs> believe it. But you told me again when we were having a private WhatsApp conversation during the respective events. You said the pacing was incredible, right? Ooh. They fight past and look like fox. It was ridiculous. Literally, there'd be people leaving the cage through one door and people coming in the cage through the other door. And uh, 
it was it was it was crazy. It really was. The pacing was it was great until you needed a pee, and it was like <laughs> well, you're going to have to sacrifice a fight at some point to go for a pee. And uh, it's like okay, let's wait until there's one that we're kind of less worried about and then go. But yeah, we had uh, twenty fights. Fourteen of those twenty fights were finishes. Uh, wow, we, that's a really high. Uh, that's amount, a, yeah. that's a very good ratio. And, yeah. Uh, the great thing about it, I mean, ACB, it's a, it's a Russian promotion. It stands for uh, Absolute Championship Burka, is the actual name. So it's Russian-based. There are a lot of Russian fighters on the card. Uh, didn't know a huge amount about many of them. Um, but we did have a, a strong contingent of British fighters on that card, British and Irish fighters on that card. The main event saw Rob Whiteford, uh, the Flying Judoka, the Hammer, former Commonwealth Games ju- uh, Judoka, and medalist in the Commonwealth Games. Um, he had to run in the UFC got released earlier this year he beat Frenchman Kevin Petschy by unanimous decision but that was close that was really close we on press row thought Petschy won the fight we all thought Petschy won the fight but the judges gave it to Whiteford so uh, it was a big win for him to actually win on his home soil the outstanding performance of the night came in the co-main event Saul Rogers we all know Saul Rogers' story uh, run the table in tough, the best man in the competition, uh, beat both guys who competed in the final, um, and his visa issues meant that he couldn't compete in the final and was effectively discarded by the UFC as a result. Um, he's now bouncing back. He fought earlier in the year, beat Andre Winner, who is a former tough finalist himself, uh, inside a minute, I believe, uh, at the first ever Tanko FC event. Uh, on Saturday night at ACB 47, he took on Mitchell Adelina, um, and uh, despite being spiked on his head, uh, choked him out in two, two and a half minutes. It was uh, it's kind of funny. I was talking to him afterwards. He had a bet with some of his friends. His friends said, right, you've got to beat him within two and a half minutes or you owe us money. And the official time was two minutes 33. So he missed by three seconds. And his mate, literally straight after he got back to the dressing room, his phone rang and it's his mate going, you owe me money. <laughs> so uh, so that was kind of funny. Uh, guy to look out for, um, Ryan Scope. Um, real talented prospects. He fought for Bama a couple of years ago. Been out of things for a little while. Um, he was fighting at featherweight back then, I believe. He's now at lightweight. And uh, he fought a really, really tough, tough Russian called Yusuf Umarov who beat the living daylights out of him in the first round, dropped him with an uppercut, and looked like he was going to finish him. Scope bounced back brilliantly and destroyed him in the second round, finished him by TKO. That was a really impressive performance. Norman Park, former UFC star, uh, edged past Andrew Fisher, who has fought for Bellator. Um, that, was a, that was a real grindy, tough performance. And really interesting side note to Norman Park was, afterwards I chatted to him, and I said, uh, you know, we've got Belfast coming up. If, you, if, if you've got the call to step in at short notice and fight in Belfast is that a call that you'd take and is that something you'd do and he looked at me and he went I don't think I'm ready which I was incredible honesty refreshing honesty you don't have too many fighters say that do you no no and normally it's you know the UFC says jump and the fighters will say how high Park said when I go back I want to know I'm ready um, so, so, so a lot of respect for Norman Park um, Jake Boswick uh, in the Battle of Britain against uh, brutal Jake Boswick, and it was a brutal knockout as well. Huge one right hand over the top, uh, knocked out Danny Mitchell, um, the cheesecake assassin with one of the best nicknames in MMA. Um, first round knockout that was that was pretty impressive. Ed Arthur also put on a superb display. 
second round sort of modified. It was a guillotine slash neck crank. It was it was one of the fastest taps I've ever seen in a fight. He just it, he was pushed up against the fence, and all of a sudden he just he just got his clasped his hands together, cranked. Fight was over. Really impressive. John Maguire, former UFC star in action. We had a load of people. Uh, names, a lot of Brits. Names and uh, a man to look out for: Shahab Youssef. Um, made his professional debut. I believe he uh, he fought in the IMF Worlds um, as a, as an amateur. Made his professional debut. Brought about fifty to a hundred fans who were all sat directly behind press row. Um, he won by uh, by armbar finish in the first round against Dennis Ahern. Really patient performance. Looked really, really, really mature for someone who was making his professional debut. He's a name to look out for. I think he'll he'll sell some tickets. And uh, he looks like he might have a little bit of potential. He he, he might go away. So, uh, but really interesting stuff. It was you know loads of fights, lots of finishes. Uh, great fun to be there and, uh, and 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 to cover it live. So um, that was ACB forty seven. The one thing I actually wanted to say is I'm, I'm really glad that you actually um, mentioned all the, all the Brit fighters that were on the card and got some results. There was one solo British fighter. On the Euro FC card, mm-hmm. and that was um, a chap called Stuart Austin, former yep. Bama heavyweight champion. He was making his light heavyweight debut, and uh, he beat Nils Van Nord. Um, it was a very one-sided affair. Um, you know, Stuart He-Man Austin, as he likes to be referred to, um, former judoka himself, um, brilliant uh, judo throw um, into. Um, uh, I believe it was a rear naked choke, if I'm not mistaken. Took his back with ease and got the victory. And uh, and light heavyweight is his new home. And I suppose uh, for him, he thinks that that's where the, the best route is to the UFC, where uh, the light heavyweight division um, is you know not the, the strongest. Um, they're looking for new talent all the time. Um, and uh, I believe that takes him to now, I think, 10 or 11 and 0, Stuart Austin. Um, so you know a guy with a good record, uh, another another Brit on the scene. Yeah. Um, he's not exclusively with EuroFC. I've already seen him campaigning on social media to try and get a fight before the end of the year. Uh, but it's definitely someone uh, to look out for. Stuart He Man Austin. Excellent. And uh, we should move on from that to UFC two hundred five because we've had we've had some we've had some news on UFC two hundred five since 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 we last spoke to you here on the Brit Pack. We now have a main event. We, it's the main event we wanted. It's the one we asked for, uh, and and it's it's the one we've got. Eddie Alvarez will take on Conor McGregor, champion versus champion. McGregor going for history. Can he be the first ever uh, UFC athlete to hold world championship belts in two weight divisions at the same time? He takes on Alvarez in the main event. We've got three world title fights on that card now. Tyron Woodley versus Stephen Wonderboy Thompson is your co-main. Yoani uh, and JJ versus Carolina. Kovich is the third world championship fight on that card. Plus, you got Weidman, Romero, Cerrone, Gaslam, and Misha Tate, Raquel Pennington. That is a stellar card for Madison Square Garden. Um, that's going to be quite something. Frankie Edgar is on the prelims. Khabib Nurmagomedov, the number one ranked lightweight in the world, is on the prelims. It's it's quite quite remarkable. Um, it's, uh, it's it's going to be it's going to be quite quite the fight card in New York. Um, we had the press conference. Uh, a lot came out of the press conference. I mean, first off, first off, what's your reaction to the booking of Alvarez versus McGregor 
And what did you make of the press conference? That's a good question. I think um, it was definitely the right move by the UFC. If I was a UFC, that's definitely the fight I would make. When you have an opportunity to, to debut in MSG, when there's been so much hype um, surrounding it, not just for the last couple of months, but for years. You know, Lorenzo Fatia famously said when they finally cracked into the New York state and got it regulated and, you know, uh, they were going to get a, a card on, uh, on Madison Square Garden, they would come in all guns blazing. And it was looking a little rocky there for a bit, you know, a lot of mind games and shenanigans played with, you know, bout agreements being signed and apparently now there's deadlines on bout agreements and, you know, a lot of gamesmanships was, was played by Khabib Namagamadov and Eddie Alvarez and Conor McGregor, even Dana White himself. Um, at the end of the day, they made the right call, but I suppose the fresh take now, about a week removed, is what's the collateral damage here? What are potentially some of the long-term effects um, that this booking might have maybe in the next three to six months or so, or certainly after uh, the event's finished? And, you know, we've already seen in the last week, Simon, Jose Aldo says he's done. He's done with the UFC. He's done with the sport. Um, it's not a, a power play to get more money for him. Um, he was promised a title shot uh, or a unification bout with Conor McGregor uh, if he took the, the interim title fight with Frankie Edgar at UFC 200. Um, you know, that's obviously not happening now uh, with McGregor fighting Alvarez. And then literally uh, yesterday, um, with, with our good friend Luke Thomas, uh, he had Khabib Namagamedov on the Luke Thomas show, which is on SiriusXM. And Khabib Namagamedov, um, he's really putting his stall out there. Um, he's fighting Michael Johnson on the same card, and he's said if he does not get a title shot um, with the winner of the main event of UFC 200, should he beat Michael Johnson himself, he's calling it quits too. Yeah, you know, um, these we're talking about. You know, in Jose Aldo and Namagamedov, two of the very best. Namagamedov, <coughs> someone who's undefeated. You know, who's yeah. someone who legitimately, you know, should be fighting for a title right now. Yeah. Um, so, like I said, there is some collateral damage. Um, it, but that being said, it still was still the right move by the UFC to put McGregor and Alvarez in that main event. I don't think anything else would have been able to live up to, to, the, to the bill and to the hype of what people's expectations were. Um, going back to the press conference, though, it was 100% one of the best performances by McGregor. Um, you know, I thought he won uh, the, the war of words with, with Alvarez. He absolutely destroyed Jeremy Stevens. Poor Jeremy Stevens. Poor, poor Jeremy Stevens. I mean, that video clip alone went viral. It made Jimmy Kimmel uh, the late night show in, in the US. I mean, right now, I don't think there's anyone in any form of entertainment that can get a smile or a chuckle out of you than Conor McGregor. And, you know, maybe some of his stuff is premeditated and, and, you know, scripted. But some of the stuff he comes up with off the cuff is just ridiculously brilliant. He, he is so witty and sharp. Um, if I was a fighter, I would not want to, like, you know, try and even, you know, prod and probe with him when it came to, the, to, a, to a battle on the mics. But, uh, but listen, it was a home run by the UFC. They got it done. It might have been a little bit, you know, last minute. I mean, we're still only like about seven weeks now away from the card. But since that announcement was made, it's all, it's all anyone's talking about in the world of MMA. New York, are you going? How, when are you getting there? Have you got tickets? And, and you know, there's such a massive buzz now um, building up to this event. Um, but, yeah, I mean, again, like I said, the right move. But 
you know, the subplot here is what are the long-term effects of this booking and how will the residual impact, um, you know, present itself in the next, you know, weeks and months ahead. Yeah, it was a really, really interesting, entertaining and fun press conference at Madison Square Garden. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull you up on one thing. Go for it. You said McGregor got the best of the exchanges against Eddie Alvarez. I actually disagree with you. You think so? I think Eddie Alvarez more than held his own in that press conference. Um, he might not have had the, the same amount of uh, comedy value as, as McGregor, but he was he was given as good as he got. There was the, the the thing with the sunglasses, and McGregor's like he was like take like, you know take off those stupid sunglasses, and McGregor sort of leaning over, staring at him, going make me, make me, make me, and then he took them off to make eye contact with the Alvarez, and Alvarez just leaned back in his chair, laughed in his face, and went, "You just took them off," and uh, and he kept and he was sort of belittling him in the stare off, going, you know, you keep your little boy belt. I'm going to keep holding my big boy belt, you know, and there was all of that sort of stuff. I thought he did really well, I think, and I tweeted afterwards and got absolutely hammered by a load of McGregor fanboys on Twitter. I said that he's not phased at all. I really don't think he is, and I think it sets things up perfectly because this is a... Eddie Alvarez has been in there with some of the very best lightweights on the planet and held his own, and he's gone in there and beat one of the more one of the one of the more dominant champions in in uh, Rafael dos Anjos, really strong competitor, took him apart in Las Vegas, um, and now he faces Conor McGregor, um, and of course what you got to bear in mind, of course, is the genesis of this bout was Eddie Alvarez's post-fight press conference in Vegas. He said, "I've been fighting the best fighters in the world for however many years. Give, let me have a gimme fight. Let me have a gimme fight. Please give me Conor McGregor." And that's what started all of this, and uh, we're gonna we're, we're gonna see it take place in Madison Square Garden. It's gonna be a fantastic occasion, and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. It's gonna be great. I think you're right. I think for the majority of the exchange, McGregor definitely got, um, you know, Alvarez held his own, but there was one specific line that I think stung Alvarez, and he had no comeback for, and it was the opening line by McGregor, where he openly said that Alvarez had accepted the fight on the old contract and this is arguably the biggest uh, pay-per-view event it's a McGregor show so he's supposed to be you know really cashing in big time and of course I'm sure Alvarez is on pay-per-view points but in terms of his base pay it's exactly the same it's, it's the old contract and I think that flustered Alvarez a little bit because I don't think that's what he was expecting McGregor to say um, and it's true by the sound of it so yeah you know that and that but, I mean, I don't think Alvarez is fighting for a payday. I think Alvarez is fighting uh, for his legacy and for a championship. Uh, McGregor, I think, he has his eye on both. Sure. Um, he's definitely, I mean, like, his legacy is obviously very, very, very important to him because if otherwise he'd be back down defending his featherweight championship. He wants to make history. Here's a question for you. If he goes and gets this done, if he beats Eddie Alvarez and becomes the first ever two two weight champion simultaneously, yeah, um, how much is that achievement going to be belittled by the fact that the UFC have pretty much had to engineer this situation? There's, you know, the amount of time that's elapsed. We've had these two Diaz fights. Yeah, <clears throat> he was obviously going to fight uh, Rafael dos Anjos. Sure. Straight off the bat. Yep. Had that fight happened, I don't think we'd, we'd have any issue here. He would either have won or lost that fight, and that would have been the attempt finished. But he lost to Diaz. Yeah. Alvarez pulled out injured. He fought Diaz. He lost to Diaz. Then he had to get that win back against Diaz. All that time has elapsed. 
and as a result the featherweight division has been put on hold for all this time and they've the UFC without being too blunt about it they've had to engineer this situation um, how much does that che- cheapen isn't the right word but how much does that maybe take a little bit of the shine off the achievement if, if he gets it done well here's the thing when it comes to Conor McGregor the purists will always have something to say he never defended his cage warriors belts he hasn't defended his UFC featherweight belt if he wins the lightweight championship um, you know like he said in the press conference you're going to need an army to get one or both belts off him you know um, I think regardless of how if, if he gets the job done you know it's perceived by the purists the bottom line is you know he's got to this position by winning fights he's got to this position by taking a short note to the opponents he's saved the UFC's neck in a lot of a lot of, a lot of times um, and the, the, the crazy thing is Simon we might have we might be seeing the best version of McGregor come November 12th we, we haven't seen him fight at 155 in the UFC yet and um, and you know his skill set has just gone so much you know further ahead since his cage warriors days um, but look he could win three or four or five in a row it's, it's you know let, let's, swip, let's swap it around a little bit Jose Aldo got knocked out by Conor McGregor in 13 seconds yet all the people saying oh he was never that good in the first place that's, that's, the, that's the beauty of combat sports that's barbershop talk yeah. you know you're always going to have people kind of uh, you know for and against and arguing you know and debating you know legacies and legitimate uh, legitimacies of fighters um, so I don't think it matters too much the bottom line here is is we've got a European uh, who's about to potentially make history on the biggest fight card in UFC history and, uh, and he's the biggest star of the sport by a long shot and um, can you just imagine if he gets the job done? It, I mean, he's already a big star as it is, um, but I mean, he'll. I mean, I, I, I don't think there's words to describe where he can take the sport and the brand and also his own career should he win the title on uh, on November twelfth. Absolutely, and UFC two hundred five, uh, November twelfth, as you say, Madison Square Garden, very quickly through the fight card. Alvarez v McGregor, Woodley v Wonderboy, in Jacek versus Kowalkiewicz. Wyman Romero, Cerrone Gastelum, Tate Pennington. That is your main card. The prelims, Frankie Edgar, Jeremy Stevens, Khabib Nurmagomedov, Michael Johnson. What a fight that is, by the way. Tim Kennedy, Rashad Evans, who's making his debut at 185, a division that I think he should have been in years ago. Uh, Tim Boach versus Rafael Natal. And then you've got your three fight pass prelims, Jim Miller, Thiago Alves. That'll be a great fight as well. Lyman Good against Bilal Mohamed and opening the show Liz Carmouche versus Catelyn Chukagin um, that is UFC 205 which brings us uh, very conveniently along to UFC 204 which is the reason we are sitting here in Manchester uh, it is Wednesday as we're recording this um, we have the open workouts taking place about an hour and a half from now um, and uh, all the talk, of course, is the main event. Michael Bisbing taking on Dan Henderson in that main event. Uh, a rematch from UFC 100. Everybody knows what happened in the first meeting. Will we get a repeat or will we get revenge? It's, uh, that's the storyline right now. Um, how, have you, how have you rated the buzz around the city so far since you've been here? You've been here about 24 hours now. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to... I mean, I thought that question might come up and... And earlier on, um, I'm staying with uh, Per Halstrom, who's the official MMA junkie photographer. 
and um, the two of us uh, went for a walk um, earlier on. We went to the town centre, uh, went into the, the the shopping mall here. I can't remember the name of it. Um, I had a walk around. Didn't see a single poster. So I didn't see a single poster. Uh, didn't see a single billboard. Um, if I was just a, a tourist coming into uh, Manchester on a, on a Tuesday or a Wednesday um, today, I'd have no idea that the UFC was in town. And I, and I thought about that for a bit, and I'm like, well, you know, that's a bit of a shame because the UFC's in town, but do they really need to advertise it? Because it's sold out. The job's done. You know, if they're going to put their marketing dollars and pounds into anything, it may be in more um, TV adverts to try and get people to tune in, tune in on Saturday night because the, 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 the arena or the tickets sold out in six minutes, so that part's done. It's a little hard to gauge the temperature because we've yet to attend any of the media events, um, some of which are open to the public, um, like this evening's open workouts. Um, but, I mean, in regards to the, to the event, you know, um, I'm looking forward to it. I really am. Like, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I, I, I'm not too concerned regarding the the late night, you know, um, start time of the card. Um, you know, I think some of our North American colleagues are, seem to be bewildered by it because this is not definitely not the norm for them. But it is the norm for us Europeans. It's the norm for us in the UK and Ireland. You know, we watch UFC and MMA until the early hours of on a Sunday morning. That's just the norm here. So to watch it inside of the arena, and I know that we both mentioned it in, in various um, means in the last couple of weeks, it's going to be special, Sai. It's going to be special. If you're in the arena, you've got a ticket, and it's 5, 5.30 in the morning, and song two uh, by Blur Blairs on the speakers, you're going to be G'd up and you're going to be fired up, especially if you're a Bisping fan. Um, yeah, I, I, I really can't wait. And I suppose, you know, again, we've spoken about this. The only kind of asterisk on this whole event is it's unfortunate that Michael Bisping, the first of a British UFC champion, isn't able to defend his title in a big event in prime time hours here in the UK because you could just imagine the, the extra exposure, uh, the, the media that uh, would have attracted to the event. Uh, and also, uh, how many more eyeballs and new fans perhaps the, the UFC would have attracted um, had it been shown at maybe at 10pm on a Saturday night. So putting that to the side though, I'm really, really excited and looking forward um, to seeing how kind of fight week develops. Yeah, it's going to be... It's going to be a fun night. Um, as you say, it's going to be a little bit special for the fans in the arena. Uh, for those watching it on TV, it's not really going to have that same sort of special element to it because obviously it's, it might just as well be taking place in Vegas because of the time zone. Uh, and I do completely agree with you. If this, I, I just hope that with the UFC looking to branch out maybe and, and uh, you know these, these new UFC owners have got to recoup some of that $4 billion that they've invested in this sport and they're not going to do that without going over and above what the, the Zufa uh, business had actually achieved so that's going to mean them branching out and doing stuff that perhaps Zufa didn't do and I think one of the major things they could do is turning it into a legitimately global attraction so it's not all about the US market the US market is the US market they've got that locked down now they need to start branching out and really servicing the European market, servicing the Asian market, the Australasian market, and um, putting on big, big fights at local time. Because we've got a huge show this weekend, but realistically, only the hardcore fans are going to be in the arena because of the time of day. Only the hardcore fans are going to be watching it on TV because of the time of day. 
So if it was prime time, you'd be getting casual fans who maybe get a ticket because it's an evening out as opposed to something to do. Something to do. It's not a through the night session like this is going to be. And obviously, watching it on TV, people channel hopping might might stumble upon the fight or it'll be the whole Bonner Griffith thing people ringing each other up going are you watching this fight um, so there's that and I'd like to I'm hopeful that that might be further down the line for us in the UK we've got loads of loads of British talent on this card one person I want to pick out is involved in the very first fight of the night uh, Mark Diacasey uh, is probably the one guy on this fight card who I'm interested to see arguably more than anyone else on the card I think this is a guy I think who's got a real chance in the UFC. Uh, he's got a he's got a great fighting style. His last two fights ended in a combined one minute, both by one punch knockout. Uh, he takes on Lukas Sajewski, uh, who is a injury replacement for Razor Madadi, who uh, detached his retina uh, about a week or so ago. Um, really looking forward to seeing how Dia Casey gets on. We've got Danny Roberts uh, taking on Platinum Mike Perry. Uh, controversial Mike Perry. Controversial Mike Perry. Uh, so that'll be that'll be an interesting one. We've got Leon Rocky Edwards. Um, who, to the best of my knowledge, is the, the owner of the fastest ever finish by a British fighter in the UFC when he knocked out Seth Brzezinski in, I think it was seven seconds, uh, in Krakow last year. Uh, we've got Davy Grant making making his return. He was in uh, he was in the corner of, uh, of Saul Rogers this weekend. Uh, now I think it's going to be round the other way. Uh, and I think Saul's going to be here with Davy this week. So, um, so it'll be interesting to see how he goes. He performed really well in London. Ian M. Whistle back in action. He'll be looking for a win after losing out in his last bout. Brad Pickett, Yuri Alcantara. Brad has been blogging for for me at the Sun throughout his fight camp. So he's a name that I'm obviously going to be following all the way through his journey. Um, a true pioneer of UK MMA as well. Absolutely, and uh, you know, one of the most popular fighters. Um, not just one of the most popular UK fighters. He's just a popular fighter wherever yeah. he goes. He always delivers. Crazy to think that he holds a win over Demetrius Johnson back in the WEC days as well. Yeah, I mean, <coughs> the fight I want to see him in, and I'll keep banging the drum for this fight until he hangs his gloves up. I want to see him take on Uriah Faber one day. That's a fight I want to see. Uh, we were going to see Arnold Allen in action on the I am card. gutted about that. Same here. I had a I had a story. Um, I don't not to kind of like don't please don't you know bleed you know for me in terms of any of our any of our content not being able to get released. But I had an interview with Arnold Allen that I'd conducted literally days before. Uh, the injury came out and I was right. about to get it published at Fighters Only and I had to scrap it and I was bummed out about it because he was really you know, fired up about this fight and yeah. it was a fight that I was really as, just as much as you were looking forward uh, just as much as you're looking forward to sorry the Dia Casey fight yeah. that's exactly how much I was invested in the Arnold Allen and the Massad Bectic fight I thought two young studs just a couple of years apart exciting um, fighting styles and uh, and hey what uh, you know for Arnold Allen to you know, kick off a main card after just being in the UFC for about a little over a year? Yeah, I thought that's a fantastic opportunity. He is gutted. He is absolutely gutted. So, um, so yeah, but you know, good on Russell Duhan. I mean, how many Hawaiians would fly over in five days' notice to to take on a Misad Bektik on a, yeah. uh, on a on a on a European pay per view at three or four in the morning? That's it. And Misad Bektik is a horrible opponent for anybody because he's he's not what you would call a mainstream star yet he's ranked I think 14th or 15th 
in that UFC featherweight division. He is legit. He is seriously, seriously talented. It's just the world hasn't woken up to him yet. Um, he's been off the radar a little bit as well because he, he suffered a, a, an injury a knee injury and um, he spent a lot of time trying to rehab that ACL um, but yeah I th- I, he's been on the European circuit we've seen him over here uh, you know once or twice and we've been really impressed by him and uh, yeah looking forward to seeing what I suppose you know after 18 months of what version 2.0 uh, yeah. looks like we've got uh, Stefan Struve the skyscraper takes on Daniel Milanchuk Ovin St. Prue Taking on Jimmy Manoa, that's going to be a very interesting bout at 205. Can Jimmy Manoa get back to winning ways against OSP? He's one of the most awkward people to deal with uh, in that light heavyweight division. I was going to say, Simon, I mean, I think this is a pretty uh, big fight for Jimmy. I think this could be almost like a, a make it or break it fight because he's had a couple of opportunities to kind of have you know uh, a fight with you know the upper echelon of that division, um, Anthony Johnson and Gustafsson. You know, OSP is just coming off the title fight um, versus John Jones. What, what do you think this fight means for Jimmy Manuel? I mean, it, if he can get it done, he's right back in the mix up there in the top of the division. If he can't, though, does he go back to being what gatekeeper status? I mean, he's not—he's not a you know um, a young chicken in that kind of division, is he? What do you think? He started the sport really late. Yeah. Um, and I think he turned down the UFC twice before he eventually took up the contract offer and joined them uh, because at the time he didn't feel he was ready um, and he joined the UFC and he, he started very well and he, the first two or three fights um, he hasn't had that highlight reel finish but he basically broke people you know they either got injury or he just beat them to the point that the doctor had to stop the fight um, but he hasn't had that highlight reel finish and if you watch any of Manuel's fights before he got to the UFC his career was just a walking highlight reel so he's been very unlucky he's also had some injury problems um, but he was, I'd say he's been overtraining with all stars um, and uh, that I think is, is going to be very beneficial to him because he's a striking first uh, mixed martial artist and maybe if there is one criticism that people have levelled at him it's that his takedown defence isn't quite as good as it perhaps could be. I think if he's working up there at All Stars, there's some big, strong dudes up there who, who will be will have been drilling him when he's uh, he's wrestling and he's, especially his defensive wrestling. So uh, hopefully we'll see a new and improved Jimmy Manoa. And I maintain, I mean, Anthony Johnson is, is the single most scary uh, fighter in the world. Maybe not just a 205, just anywhere. But in terms of in terms of punch power. I think Manawar is right up there in that light heavyweight division. If he lands clean on you, you're in a world of trouble. Um, OSP is a big, athletic guy. He's very difficult to deal with. He's very difficult to prepare for. Is he a southpaw, if I'm not mistaken? He, well, I think he is, but he sort of switch hits. He does all sorts. He moves around. Um, he's, he's just awkward. He's just awkward. He's very difficult to deal with. Uh, and we saw John Jones struggle with it uh, just because he was such an unorthodox person to deal with. Manor was a lot more upright and very more straightforward in terms of his style. If Manor can get his hands on OSP, we could have some fun and games in that light heavyweight fight. Um, but it's going to be difficult getting inside that reach of OSP. So would it be, it's going to be interesting to see just how Manor approaches this fight. Uh, if he loses the fight, it's difficult to know quite quite what happens next. Uh, OSP also needs to win. Obviously, he fought Jones. I think he broke his arm in that fight. Um, so we never really saw the best of him. 
Um, and he was someone who was rated as someone who was moving up the ranks a little bit. So a win for Manoa on Saturday against OSP, that's a real a real statement and would demonstrate that he's really involved in his game. One guy who used to, in fact, two guys who used to compete as light heavyweights, but are both now among two of the best middleweights in the world. Um, Gegard Masasi and Vitor Belfort. Vitor's probably on the way down a bit. Gegard is still right up there as one of the best in the world. They're fighting in the co-main event. Um, how do you see that one going? I think we've got... I mean, they're both in veteran status right now, but from what I can make out, one looks an awful lot fresher than the other one. I agree, and I, and I think we're, I think you're leaning towards Gegard when you say that statement. And yeah, I mean, I think Vitor is on his uh, on the decline now, and, and I think for him, it's just trying to squeeze out as many um, fun fights, marquee fights, try and get into as many main card slots as possible. Um, you know, he's still a massive draw for the UFC in Brazil, which we obviously know is a massive, massive, important market for them. Um, but this year, I just feel like Gegard's got a little pep in his step. His attitude has changed a little bit. He's turned it up a notch in all of his interview and media opportunities. He seems to be a little bit more fired up going into every fight. He's a bit more vocal in his opinions on things. He's been chasing this Vitor Belfort fight for quite some time. Um, and I think the fact that he's finally got it, he's going to make it count. And um, yes, I, I think we're looking at a, um, it could be a, a big highlight reel kind of uh, moment for Gegard Musasi in that co-main event slot to get a big win over Vitor Belfort. And I think the 2016 Gegard Musasi might have something up his sleeve for a post-fight interview as well. I think so too. I think so too. He seems to have he seems to have really turned the page in terms of the way he deals with the media. He's, he's so laid back, he's horizontal, Gegard. He's always been like that. But he's always had that air of not really wanting to be there when he does the media stuff. But I think it was the London show. He turned up at a press conference with like this rascal disco shirt on. Uh, and started dropping bombs left and right. We're like, whoa, this is the new gay guard. Suddenly turned up. And he's been brilliant ever since. I think he, he was a guest fighter in, was it in Rotterdam? And he was doing these one-liner jokes with, uh, with, the, with, the, with the social media guys in the UFC. You know, gay guard was such a personality he's coming out. And I think we're seeing it in his fights as well. I think we're seeing, it was a superb finish of Thiago uh, Moreta Santos in uh, UFC 100. Uh, Huge, huge knockout in that in, the, in that show, um, and now he's looking to to repeat the trick against Vitor Belfort. If he puts Vitor Belfort away quickly and impressively, then the, you know the calls for a title shot are going to get ever louder. And this is a guy who's held world championship gold elsewhere in dreaming in strike force. So um, it might not be long before Gegard is positioning himself for a title shot. Final bit uh, as we talk about UFC two hundred four. Uh, Let's do some predictions. We don't always do predictions on this show, but we've got Michael Bisping in a world title fight against Dan Henderson. Absolutely. Is he going to get it done? If he is, how's it going to happen? Or are you picking Dan Henderson to uh, repeat the trick and beat Bisping again? No, I think think Michael definitely gets it done. Um, How he gets it done, I think, will be probably late on um, or by the judges' uh, scorecards. I think he gets it the thing with Michael Bisping is um, he's got incredible output. He, I think, has the record for the most significant strikes in UFC history in any weight class. Um, so we know that the output's going to be um, very, very high. 
I think since he first fought Dan Henderson, his boxing and his movement has and his head movement has become his footwork has everything's become much better and tighter. Obviously, working with Jason Perillo, one of the best in the business, has definitely paid dividends. Um, I don't think he's going to put himself in any sort of position to kind of uh, get into uh, Dan Hendo H bomb territory, so to speak. Um, I don't think he's got the ability to knock out uh, Dan Henderson. Although Henderson has been knocked out in the last couple of years, I still think his chin is going to hold strong enough to actually um, uh, hold tight uh, for, the, for, the, for the actual fight itself. But, um, but yeah, I think, I think Michael Bisping gets it done. I think he gets it done late, maybe in the fourth or fifth round, maybe just by a volume of strikes where maybe the referee steps in. If not, I think he takes it on the judges' scorecards. I tend to agree with you. I tend to agree with you. Interestingly, Jason Perillo, who correctly predicted that the left hook would be the, uh, the fight-ending punch against Luke Rockhold, he's predicting uh, a head-kick knockout from Michael Bisping and a left head-kick knockout as well. So he's been very specific here. So we've gone from left hook Larry to head-kick Harry, I suppose. Um, but it'd be interesting to see if that happens, if Bisping can win by head-kick KO in Manchester... In the main event, in a world title fight, the roof will come off the MEN, or the Manchester Arena, as they call it now. That would just be ridiculous. I am very wary of, of the power of Dan Henderson, and the longer the fight goes, it's kind of a weird one, this, because the longer the fight goes, the more you fancy Bisbing. Uh, but the longer the fight goes, the greater the opportunity for Henderson to land that big punch, because he only needs one. So it's going to be on a knife edge all the way through. You would expect Bisbing to comfortably outmaneuver Henderson, but he he only needs to make one mistake, and Henderson can be on him. So that's 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 the, the really intriguing aspect to this fight because Henderson doesn't need to outpoint Bisbing. He's not going to outpoint Bisbing. I'm pretty I'm pretty sure of that. Um, it's can he land that right hand on Michael Bisbing? And it's very hard to think that he won't at some point. Um, so I, I think it's an intriguing fight. I'm, I'm picking Bisbing to win it. I think he's going to win it by stoppage. I think he's going to win it in the middle rounds by stoppage. Um, and uh, maybe round three, round four. And I think it's going to be... I think he's going to rock Henderson and finish him on the ground with strikes. Um, but I think it's going to be, it's going to be uh, one, of those, one of those fights where the fans are going to be on on the edge of their seat because they know what happened in that first fight and that is always there you know Henderson I wrote Henderson off about three years ago and he nigh on killed Hector Lombard at UFC 199 that was just one of the most incredible finishes to a fight I've ever seen live he's still got it in him um, and, and of course there's the aspect of it being Henderson's final fight so I'd like to think that win, lose, draw, knockout, submission, decision. If Henderson puts those gloves down in the middle of the cage, he gets a stand innovation from the fans in the UK. I think we've got very knowledgeable fans over here. And, uh, you know, he's fighting our guy, but he's also a Hall of Famer. He's a legend of the sport. Probably the greatest American mixed martial arts of all time. So uh, I hope that, you know, regardless of the result, that the UK fans give him the send-off that he does deserve after, after a stellar career. That is UFC 204. Um, we're, we're about to wrap things up. We're going to curtail the Q&A session a little bit, aren't we, this week? Just because Yeah, I mean, we are, we are quite tight for time because we've got to shoot off um, and go cover the, the open workouts. 
Um, but I thought we can squeeze in just a couple and then and maybe we can do a few more um, in our special post show. Yes, folks, for the, for the first time, there will be um, uh, a nice, uh, you know, Simon Head, Chamat Karsandu post show in person following the events of UFC 204. But very quickly, um, the first question comes in from John Todd who says that UFC 205 may be stacked, but imagine if Robbie Lawler hadn't pulled out of fighting Cowboy Cerrone. And I suppose we're, we're, we're quite spoiled as it is, Simon, with that UFC 205 card. Um, I mean, it would have been a cherry on top if that Lawler and Cerrone fight had stuck together. But I don't know, do you think that maybe one day these two are going to dance at some point anyway? I think so. I think there's, there's, there's a huge amount of respect between the two of them. I think it's a fight that they both want. And, uh, I mean, you know, the level of respect between the two. Lawler went and met Cerrone personally to tell him that the fight isn't going to happen because he needed more time. He got, you know, he got banged up in his last fight with Robbie Lawler and uh, he needed a little bit more time to recover. And I think, I think A, that's a very sensible, very sensible course of action to do when you've taken repeated shots to the head like that. And, uh, and also a very classy thing to do by going and talking to Cerrone personally and, and explaining the situation there's no ducking going on here there's no messing around there's no unnecessary stuff it's just two experienced old hands in this sport who've been through the mill and have seen everything uh, they're both huge crowd favourites love to see that fight one day it's a shame that it's not happening at 205 but Robbie Lawler's loss is Kelvin Gastelum's gain and this is a big opportunity for him um and I'm certainly not counting him out in this fight. I know Cerrone will probably be the better favourite, but Gasolum is, is a real tough operator and he's going to be the bigger, stronger guy in there on fight night for sure. So uh, it's a completely different stylistic matchup. It's going to be striker versus wrestler. Um, and uh, it'd be really interesting to see how that pans out. But yeah, I mean, you can't have everything. You can't have everything. But Gasolum Cerrone will be a good fight anyway. And hopefully we'll see uh, Lawler come back a bit further down the line. And maybe we'll see him take on Cerrone. Uh, maybe in 2017, who knows? Absolutely. Uh, Daryl Chumbly, by the way, Daryl's been great. He's always sending in uh, questions week in, week out. So much respect to Daryl. Uh, Daryl says, any any fighters you see this weekend that could make waves in the UFC? And I suppose that kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier on, Simon. Um, you know, we've got our eye on Mark Diakese. Um I've certainly got my eye on Misad Bektik, um, who's kind of coming back after about a year, year and a half off. Um, he's only still only 25 years old. Um, it's funny because I think I remember his last fight, Michael Bisping was on the Fox um, uh, broadcast, and he kind of uh, uh, gave him a nice little uh, nickname, called him Hectic Bectic. Hectic Bectic. Yeah. Um, so which I think he should actually stick to in terms of a, a nickname. But apart from those, Simon, would you say there's maybe one other fighter on the card, someone that you think? you know, in the next couple of years could be a big, big name in the UFC and could make it all the way to the top? Well, I think Diakazi's got the ability. Someone not British, but Albert Tumanov, I think, has got the ability to go a long way in that UFC welterweight division. Uh, I think maybe he got pushed a little bit too quick. Um, you know, his last fight was against Gunnar Nelson and he got submitted in that fight in the second round. Um, I think maybe they just gave him a little bit too much too early, but I think he's got the, he's got the potential to do very well. Uh, on the same topic, but going back to the past weekend and the fighters that we saw the past weekend, I've got, to, I've got to mention Saul Rogers again. That guy deserves to be in the UFC. Anybody who's watched him fighting tough, 
anyone who's watched his two fights since he was in tough, it is a travesty that the guy isn't already in the UFC. I hope that common sense prevails in the next 12 months. And uh, maybe this time next year, when we're on show number 50-something or whatever it is, uh, we can talk about the fact that Saul Rogers is now a UFC fighter. Because for me, he's the best lightweight outside the UFC. He deserves his shot. Uh, and he, he wouldn't have been a bad addition to this fight card, I've got to be honest. So, uh, so yeah, I just wanted to chuck his name in there as well. No, good shout. Um, RG tweets in and says, after training at All Stars Gym in Sweden, do you think we'll be seeing more wrestling from Jimmy Manuel? Now, this isn't the first time that Jimmy's been out to the All Star Gym in Sweden to train. Whether that'll give him extra wrestling, uh, I'm not so sure. I don't even think he'll need it too much against OSP. I kind of see this fight kind of staying, you know, both guys staying on their feet. Um, certainly from some of the stuff I've seen online and social media and uh, some of the, the training montages, it seems to be a lot of striking uh, training that they do out there in All-Stars. But do you think we're going to see uh, a performance out of Jimmy Manor that's going to focus on his wrestling at all, Simon? No, I think it's more um, an insurance policy. It's his defensive wrestling. I mean, OSP is a very, very strong um, all-round athlete. He has good wrestling. Uh, he has unorthodox striking. And if Manoa starts landing, OSP will go to his wrestling. It's it's just the way it, it's just the way it is. Um, and I think working up at All-Stars will help prepare Manoa for if those shots do come. So I think it's more that. I think Jimmy's, Jimmy's going to win, win fights with his striking. But it'll be his ability to keep the fight standing that will allow him to do that. And that's where that wrestling training comes in. If you can dictate where the fight is, then you stand a much, much better chance of winning the fight. So I think that's, it's more that rather than changing up his game plan, if that makes sense. Fair play. Well, Simon, uh, we've got to make a, uh, a move. We've got to rush off now to the open workout. So thank you, everybody else that did tweet in the questions. And maybe we'll try and get them in, in the post show or, or on uh, the, the regular uh, show in a couple of weeks' time. Um, once again, super, super sorry about uh, my voice. That seems to have gotten progressively worse and worse as the show has gone on today. Um, I'm just hoping I can survive fight week by being able to interview the fighters. But um, before you sign us off, Simon... I do want to give a quick little plug. Um, now, for any of our listeners that are based in London um, that weren't able to get tickets to UFC 204, but perhaps want to get together with some friends and, and watch it, um, the Grosvenor Casino in Russell Square, they've got this deal site. It's called um, a beer, a burger, and a bet for eight ninety-five. It does exactly what it says on the tin. For eight ninety-five, you get a beer, you get a burger, um, and you get a free bet in the casino. Um, but you get a, there's a there's a communal area where they're going to actually screen um, UFC two hundred four. Fantastic. Um, and um, you know there might be something in the pipeline in the future uh, for uh, Grosvenor Casino in Russell Square and uh, the Brit Pack in this show for me and Simon. But you know, we'll, we'll, I, I suppose we'll probably reveal a bit more information a bit further down the road. But yeah, just wanted to kind of quickly give them a plug. So yeah, if you are based in London and you want to get together with some friends, there, I mean, we get it all the time, Simon. I know you do. Where can I watch it live? Are there any bars that I show and get live? Well, there you go. There's one venue in London that's going to watch, uh, that's going to screen, uh, screen UFC 204 live. So if you want to get down there, it's a casino. You know, it'll be there'll be plenty of booze and plenty of food, and and you can watch all the fights with your mates. So there you go. Can't say can't say fairer than that. And uh, yeah, it is a question we get asked a lot. Where where can you watch these uh, watch these fights on TV? Because 
it's it's always better when you get the lads together and watch the fights. It's kind of funny. I, I watched an interview with Dana White on uh, a radio show in America, and he said uh, he wants to start watching the fights from a bar because everyone tells him how amazing it is. He said, I've got the best seat in the house to watch the best fighters in the world. I wouldn't mind going to a bar and watching all these fights. So... Um, so yeah, it's if if you get some uh, Russell Square, you say yeah. Yeah, it's the, the Grosvenor Casinos have quite a few uh, casinos and branches uh, yeah. around London, uh, but it's specifically the Russell Square branch of the casino gotcha. that will be uh, screening UFC 204, and actually they actually will be screening um, future UFC pay per views at 205, 206. So that's um, awesome. Yeah, if you're in the London area and you want to regularly get you know with your mates and watch uh, the UFC pay per views, now you have a venue to go and do it. That is that is fantastic news. That is really good to hear. And uh, if any of you do end up going, uh, name and, drop uh, us. Um, Let them know the why you got there. Tell them the Brit Pack asked us to get there. There you go. And uh, by all means, ping us a tweet and let us know uh, what your experience was like watching watching the fights. That is pretty much all we have for you on the Brit Pack for now. We'll be back after the fights uh, on Saturday night. Well, it'll, it'll be Sunday morning, won't it? By the time we get there. Um, and we'll give you some post-fight reaction in our, in our next edition. You can uh, follow us on Twitter at the Britpack MMA. You can follow uh, Sandu at Sandu MMA. You can follow me at Simon Head, and you can get the show via the Britpack. M- oh, sorry, SoundCloud.com/slash the Britpack, and there are links to iTunes, Stitcher, and Acast on there as well. All the good stuff, so you can subscribe to the show. If you're enjoying what you're listening to, please do jump on iTunes, leave us a review, uh, tweet us, let us know, uh, let us know what you like about the show, and uh, obviously, and of course, if you have any questions, always ping them our way, and we will do our best to answer them uh, in a future edition of the show. We're off to the open workouts. We'll come back and talk to you after the fights. Speak soon.